Well, it is Super Bowl uh, weekend or day of Super Bowl. Are you excited at all? Yeah. This is going to make the next question even more exciting. Any of you, is there anyone who's going to actually be rooting for uh, Baltimore? Oh, hey! Be proud. There's about four of you. Uh, and I think some sympathy shouts. Uh, anyone going to be rooting for San Francisco? Oh, there's a few, few. Uh, any of you that really just don't care want to watch the commercials? You know, I, I had this moment last night uh, where I literally said, hey, God, uh, please, uh, in my lifetime, I would love, I would love, desperately love to uh, watch before I die. We got a few decades, hopefully, maybe, uh, to have the Cowboys back into the Super Bowl. Can you work that out for me? And God said, no, it's impossible for me to do that. I said, that's what I thought, God. You, know, you can't get the Cowboys back. Wow. Super Bowl. If you watch any interview with any veteran that's actually been to the Super Bowl, maybe you watched some interviews this week, like with Ray Lewis, or maybe uh, you know, just in the years past, you know, you'll hear these veterans talk about not just the Super Bowl, the game, but they'll start talking about the entire experience. From the moment they find out that they're going to the Super Bowl, what life is really like before they even get on the field. They start describing this entire chaotic, emotionally charged experience. I mean, their phone starts ringing off the hook. You know, people saying, hey, uh, uh, Jeff, tickets. Family members, hey, you really like me. Can I have tickets? Uh, friends that they haven't talked to since preschool. Hey, you remember me? We played together. Can I have tickets? And these players have to start uh, coordinating flights and hotels and meals and family members and friends and trying to get tickets, and they're really difficult. Even for those playing in the game to get the, the number of tickets they, they need or they want, the administration side of just that process is overwhelming. It's daunting to them. Then the media days. I mean, interview after interview after interview, and they're having to be so calculated and careful on everything they say and everything, every comment they position and what they do say and what they don't say, what they want to say, but what they know they shouldn't say at all. And so just the emotional uh, side to all of that. And for some of those players, they're used to the camera and used to the interview. And for some of those players, they've never been interviewed in their life. And they have to go through these media days, and then the coaches start coaching and start telling them what to do and what not to do. They start talk, talking about the big game and how to manage their, their emotional energy and the adrenaline and sleeping and eating well. And please, whatever you do, don't get arrested. We need you. Coaches that have been to the game and coaches that haven't been to the, the big game. And when you hear these interviews and these stories by these veterans that have been to Super Bowls before, they'll say, you get to the point where all you want to do is get on the field. Just give me the ball. Have the clock start ticking. Just get us, because on the field is where I feel safe. On the field is what I know uh, what to do on the, the field. Everything else quiets down. 
even though there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people screaming on the field. That's where I feel at home, on the field. It's where I can get my arms around, on the field. Get to that point. Sometimes I feel in the church world, in kind of the religion world, there's so much surrounding it. There's different denominations, there's different theologies, there's different opinions, there's different ways to interpret and read and position thoughts and, and come and angles at the Bible and trying to figure this all out. For all of us in this room, we've raised with some type of religious foundation, even if that religious foundation was zero, was a religious foundation. You try to separate out how you were raised and what this one church said and that one pastor said and that one book said and how you heard it, how you perceived it, how you framed it together. And we come to Renaissance, it's like, well, this is a different type of church. For some of you, you thought we were a cult. Like, hey, really? What, what do they do up there on the third floor? But the people said it's different than any church that you've ever uh, experienced. And so you came and checked it out. Maybe today's your first time and already you realize it's a different church than you've ever experienced before. And so many times there's so much stuff just surrounding it. And today what I want to do, and I'm going to oversimplify some very deep, complex thoughts. But what I want to do It's for all of us here, no matter where you've come from, what your background, what your doctrine, what your uh, denominational upbringing is, uh, what that might be. And I just want to bring it all, all, all down and simplify it to one simple thought. Just like those football players here in a few hours, they just want to get on the field and get the ball. You see, it all comes down to Jesus. And today... I just want to talk about what Jesus, his, his last words, because they're so important, and what that means to all of us today. No matter what you believe and don't believe, no matter where you find yourself on the spiritual journey or not, I just want to kind of bring it all down and simplify it as much as I can, because guess what? That's what Jesus did. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, some of Jesus' last words. This is what he said. When they saw him, I mean, when this group of people saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I love that Matthew is that transparent in this moment because it's going to set up kind of uh, what was going on in this kind of this room or this area where all these people kind of gathered. You see, in this moment, Jesus was alive. And this entire group of people, I mean, they had witnessed him being crucified. And could you just imagine that environment? The questions, the thoughts, the excitement, the concern, the wonder, the confusion. I mean, could you imagine the the, the little whispers? Hey, yeah. Wasn't that him? Didn't we see him? Wasn't that the guy? I mean, 
Wasn't that him who was crucified? Wasn't that him that we saw on the cross? Wasn't that him? I mean, when you kind of look and some doubted, I mean, those are some of the questions. They're like, hey, I know we saw him on the cross. Did he have a twin? No, he couldn't have a twin. We never saw a twin. Plus, look at his hands. Look at his feet. And they had these doubts. As they sat there and saw Jesus resurrected. For some of you, you have doubts. And maybe you felt, maybe you said out loud, man, if I actually saw this Jesus guy, if I saw him like before I saw him crucified, and I saw him after, I would believe. Man, if I, if I could have been there, man, it would make my spiritual journey so much easier. What's interesting is Matthew's like, no, 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 no. There were men and women sitting there that walked with Jesus before, saw his miracles. There's men and women that were there when, when he was nailed to a cross. There were men and women there who saw him <gasps> breathe the last time. There were men and women there who saw him be put into a tomb and the stone rolled away. There were men and women there. that saw him alive again, and they still had doubts. And then Jesus made this statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now that's a statement. And Jesus wanted to make sure it was clear to everyone there, whether they had doubts or they didn't, whether they still were questioning what was going on or if they realized what they were experiencing. He wanted to make sure it was clear. Hey, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Lean in. Don't miss this. What I'm going to say is so critical. Pay attention. And this is what he says. Therefore, go. If you were here a year ago, we did this entire series called Go. And uh, four weeks, we kind of, the foundational verse was Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We went off in different directions, but it was a foundational verse. And we're so creative that we came up with the title for the series, Go, from there. I tell you, we're geniuses. But he says, Go. There's action, there's movement. Don't sit still, don't push pause, don't lean back, don't rest. Get up. And move. And Jesus wanted to make sure it's so clear because he understands that us humans, sometimes we like to define, redefine, bring in the guardrails, change the picture a little bit to fit our needs, to fit our desires. So Jesus said, okay, if you're not sure what I mean by go, let me explain it to you. So his very last words in Acts chapter 1 8, he defines what go truly means. He says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was kind of their hometown for most of them. Not all, but most of them was their hometown. It's where they were comfortable. It'd be like Jesus saying, hey, Summit or Short Hills or Chatham or Warren or Berkeley Heights or wherever you're from, that's your kind of hometown. He said, okay, go. Yep, start with your hometown. 
your friends, your neighbors, the people you hang around with, the people you see. Start there. Then Judea and Samaria was kind of the region around Jerusalem. Judea would have been a place for for all the Jews that they would go to all the time, but Samaria was a place they wouldn't go to. They didn't want to go to. They didn't like to go to. They would actually walk uh, many, many miles around Samaria, not to walk through Samaria. And Jesus was saying, hey, go to the people you like and the people you don't like, the people you associate with and the people that you don't want to associate with. The people that, that speak your kind of language and the people that just talk differently than you. The people that, that you like to hang with and the people that might you don't like to hang with. The people that you enjoy just being together with and the people that annoy you. Go to those people. But then he says, to the ends of the earth. And I think when Jesus said those words, he just smiled. He kind of had this smirk on his face. I'm sure some people kind of noticed, were like, oh, that's kind of weird, Jesus, why are you smiling? Because Jesus was thinking to himself, to this group of men and women, you guys have no clue what the ends of the earth really mean. You think the end of the earth is somewhere, you know, past Rome a little bit. You guys have no idea that some 2,000 years from now, there's going to be this landmass called the United States. And you guys have no clue that in that landmass that they're going to call the United States, out of those 50 states, the best state, New Jersey, there's going to be this church called Renaissance, which is the best church, joking, kind of, the best church called Renaissance. And there's going to be some guy who's going to be talking about the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying, go to your local community, to the region around your local community, and everywhere you go, go. And then he's going to give us a simple strategy. It's not complicated. Churches have made this real complicated. Pastors like me have made this real complicated. And today I just want you to know, I'm going to simplify this as much as I can to the point where I'm going to miss thoughts. I'm going to to create more questions within you. I'm fine with that because it's this simple. And this is what Jesus said. When you go, here's the strategy. Here's the purpose. This is what I want you to accomplish. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Do these things. Go and make disciples of all nations. That phrase, make disciples. It's not forcing someone to. It's not grabbing someone's arm and twisting it behind their back and say, you will become a disciple. Okay, mercy. Have an urgency about this. This is important. Go with a purpose, with urgency, now to make disciples. And that word disciples means a follower of Christ. See, it was Jesus' words when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And Jesus says, as you go, tell people about me. As you go, tell people what you have witnessed. As you go, tell people that the only way to God the Father is through me. As you go, make disciples.
And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just that word baptism, oh, there's a lot attached to that, depending on how you're raised and what denomination uh, you've been in or, or you attended, uh, your own personal opinions about baptism. And I'm going to talk more in a little bit about baptism, but here's the formula. Here's the strategy. Make disciples, baptize them. And then he says this, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Simple. And there it was. And guess what happened? Right away, the church exploded onto the scene. Men and women that heard Jesus' words. Men and women that heard people who, who were sitting there when Jesus said, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And guess what they did? They started doing that. Simple. It wasn't complicated. And the church exploded. And the book of Acts is such a great account this historical account of the early church. These men and women who took Jesus' command because they realized all authority on heaven and earth had been given to him and that they should lean into what he wanted them to do. And they started doing what he asked them to do, to go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And they did that. And the church grew. And people became disciples. And other people became disciples. And all of a sudden, in Acts 6, it says that the 12 apostles, or the 12 kind of main church leaders, realized there's so many people that they couldn't care for all of them. And so they raised up seven more and said, hey, we need more help. We need more leaders. We need more people going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching. So they raised up seven more. And one of those guys was Philip. And Philip kind of got excited because he went to Samaria, the area where most of them didn't want to go to. He was like, well, I'll go. So he went, and we see him going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching in this region. And then one day, in Acts chapter 8, uh, Luke, who's the author of, uh, of Acts, he writes it this way. He says, an angel came to Philip. Now, I'm not sure if that angel was like one of those winged creatures with a halo singing angel. Or sometimes they use that word as a messenger, or it could have been the Holy Spirit. But a message from God, however it was delivered, came to Philip. And he said, go. Go to this desert road. That way, south. So guess what Philip did? Okay. So he went. He just went. And along the way, he saw this chariot. And the Spirit said, yep, There. That's where you need to be. So in Acts chapter 8, it says that he literally went up to this chariot, and he's running beside the chariot. This is hilarious if you think about it, because inside the chariot was this Ethiopian uh, uh, royal official. He was actually the treasurer for his, his country. The Bible uses the word Ethiopia, but it's not the Ethiopia we know today. It was actually, he's from the nation of Nubia, which when you study this, it's, it's kind of cool because Nubia came from uh, uh, the son, uh, a guy named Cush, who's in the Old Testament. And Cush was a son of Ham, and Ham was one of the sons of Noah. And he's running next to this chariot, 
chariots moving. I mean, this guy probably had servants and guards, and it was this whole thing. And I just wonder if as Philip's running beside this chariot, one of the guards looked at another guard. Hey, should we do something about Freak Boy here? The other guard's like, no, do you see this guy? He's not going to hurt anyone. I wonder if one of the servants said, should we get him a glass of water? Because he's still running, the chariot's moving. The other servant's like, I don't know, this is strange. And Philip hears this Ethiopian treasure reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And then Philip says this. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? And I don't know, like, had he seen him running beside there? Had they had other conversations? Or out of nowhere, did he just kind of like, hey, do you understand this? Like, it's awkward. Maybe not. And he said, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited him into the chariot, and they had this discussion. Think about this moment. The Spirit prompted Philip. He followed. He did. To the point of running beside the chariot. And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then he asked this question. Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? What a great question. He's like, hey, I'm reading this, I'm studying this, I'm I'm confused. Can you help me out here? But there's something within this Ethiopian treasurer that, that prompted him to say, hey, I was just in Jerusalem, I'm on this kind of spiritual pilgrimage, I'm heading back, I bought this, this scroll, which scrolls, you had to have a ton of money. I have this, I'm reading this, I'm trying to figure it out. I hear these rumors about this Jesus guy that came and he was crucified, but yet he's alive, but yet he ascended. And is this the promised Messiah or is it not? Help me figure this out. And this is what happened. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, started right there in Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus. There's this time gap that we're not sure what happens right after this, but what we know is this. They had this conversation. It was all about Jesus. I'm sure Philip was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Jesus, whether Philip was actually there listening to Jesus when Jesus said, go and make disciples, or maybe one of Philip's friends, like Peter, was there. He's like, yeah, yeah. This is what Jesus wants us to to talk about. I'm sure Philip was there in Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching to tens of thousands of people. And Philip was like, hey, you need to know, this is the good news about Jesus, and this is what it means for you, and this is what it means to be a Christ follower, and this is what it means, and this is what it means. And then all of a sudden, in this little time gap from this good news discussion, this is the next thing that happens in the story. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. 
You see, there's a lot of kind of church kind of terminology in different churches and different parts of the country, just even in this area. There's a lot of different terms. And what I want to do today is just bring this all down as simply as I can. Because guess what? When Jesus said, here's a strategy, go make disciples, baptize, teach, that was really simple and really clear. Here's what I know. All of us are on a spiritual journey when you think about it. Why? Because God the Creator created us to image Him to be spiritual beings. And for some of you here today, you're not sure about God, you're not sure about Jesus, you're not sure about a whole list of things. I just want you to know, whatever is going on inside of you, God is drawing you to Him. You can like that, you can not like that. You can say, hey Chris, how do I get God to stop doing that? It's annoying. He can't. But that feeling inside of you, it might be the exact reason you're here today, is that God is drawing you to him. Because he wants a relationship with you. And for some of you, that's where you find yourself in your spiritual journey. Kind of like this Ethiopian treasurer. You're learning, you're studying, you're asking questions, you're trying to figure out. And I just want you to know, the heartbeat of the church, the heartbeat of this church, is to be a place for you to ask those questions, to figure it out. Where it's safe to ask questions. It's safe to push back. It's safe to have doubts. It's safe to have tension within your faith. You're on the journey. And I just want you to know, God desperately wants you to have a relationship with him. For some of you, the next step in your spiritual journey has to do with what we talk about here is accepting Christ or being a Christ follower or a follower of Christ. And, and this doesn't mean like just because you come to church that you've accepted Christ. Because for some of you, you're, you don't know. You just don't know. You've heard me talk about before, maybe just today. Uh, you know, accept Christ, be a Christ follower. And you're like, I don't know. Am I? Am I not? Did I do that? I can't remember. Was I asleep that day? How do I do that? Jesus' words. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do you accept Christ? How do you become a Christ follower? This is simple, but for some of you, difficult as this. The Bible uses the word repent. The word repent literally means to turn. To turn. Where the Bible talks about you're going down your path, your desires, what you want to do, what you think is best for you, where your world revolves about you, 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 you. The Bible talks about that you can only serve one master. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And the first step is that you turn and realize that Christ should be at the center of your life. 
It's repentance. God's way is better than my way. God's plan is better than my plan. God's desire for my life is better than my desires for my life. And this is little, this action of facing Christ and saying, okay. And as you turn, you trust in him. And it's all kind of this one action. Because you can't turn from your ways without trusting. Trusting is going to pull you around to realize that Christ is the best way, not you. That his desires are better than yours. That he desires for you to have a new life. And your life isn't like that life. And as you turn and as you trust, you're compelled to tell people about it. You're compelled to. Because you're changing from the inside out. It's what we talked about in our entire Now What series. About Christ dwelling in you, in your inner being. Changing you from the inside out. And as you change from the inside out, you can't help but tell people about it. Paul in Romans chapter 10, he frames it this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see this word believe? It literally means that you are compelled to trust with your entire being. That you become completely reliant on Christ. You see, believe sometimes, we use that word and it feels like this watered down word to our culture. You can believe that George Washington was the first president, right? You learned that probably back in preschool. You believe that. Has that belief changed your life at all? Do you wake up in the morning going, oh, yes, I'm glad George Washington was the first president. I can go on with my day. You, you can believe that there was a man named Jesus. You can even believe that he is the son of God. But are you completely reliant on him? Are you trusting him completely with your life? <sighs> For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's the telling part. With your mouth, you tell people. It's not something you keep secret. And after that, go making disciples. It's about people turning, trusting, and telling. Turning, trusting, and telling. Turning, trusting, and telling. After that, the next step is baptism. I I get in this room, there's a lot of different teachings on baptism from a lot of different denominations. When people ask me questions, I go back to the Bible all the time. Because I don't think God wanted it to be the most complex book ever written. And when you look at baptism in the Bible, when you look at baptism in the, in the book of Acts, 
Do you realize every time baptism is talked about, what comes first is belief? They believed and were baptized. The Ethiopian treasure heard the good news. And it's just implied in there, he heard the good news. He accepted the good news. He turned, he repented, he trusted. And guess what happened? He said, look, there's water. I should be baptized. So they got out, they were baptized. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, his message, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Turn, trust, tell, be baptized. Turn, trust, tell, be baptized. It was just this process. And every time in the book of Acts, baptism came after someone's decision to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple of Christ. Just what happened. For some of you, you've never been baptized as a believer. Just never have. And baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is this public declaration of this inward transformation within you. So for all of you today, you're in this story somewhere. Every single one of you, for some of you, you're on this spiritual journey right now. And maybe you sat there today and everything I just said, you're sitting there going, yeah, I don't buy it. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. Because you're here, and you're asking questions, and you're trying to figure it out. And I hope you, you're back next week. We're going to start this series called The Road. And it's just this foundations of the Christian faith, of how we talk about growing in your faith, and asking questions, and trying to get your questions answered, and what does it mean to grow, and how do we do that? And that kicks off next week. And I'm, I am so excited about this series, as we just look into it. And maybe you've been a Christ follower for decades. It's going to be great for you. Because all of us need to grow in these different areas, including myself. If you're on this spiritual journey and you have questions, sign up for the project. That is a great place for you to go and ask questions. And if you're sitting there going, no, really, Chris, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really believe in this. You want me to show up? Yes. Yes, we do. We just want to go on the journey with you. If you find yourself sitting there today, going, I'm not sure if I'm a Christ follower, if I'm a disciple of Christ. It shouldn't be a mystery. It just shouldn't be a mystery for you. Have you turned? Have you trusted? Are you telling? If you're ready to take that step, there's not magic words you have to say. Christ died and paid the ultimate price so that all people, all people would have the opportunity to have eternal life. Starts in your heart. And I tell you, when that happens within you, when you turn and when you trust, you can't help but tell people. And if you've accepted Christ and you've never been baptized before, as a believer, as this public declaration. You see, baptism is this powerful image of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When you go down into the water, it's, it's symbolizing this death and burial, just like Jesus experienced. And when you come out of the water, 
to a new life, being made new again. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 6. Baptism is a symbol, this great symbol, representing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. On March 3rd, our next Vespers, we're going to have a special Vespers where we figured out, you might want to come just to witness this, we figured out how to do baptisms on the third floor in here. We might soak wind berries below, we don't know. But uh, we're going to do it in here. Like I said, you might want to come just to have your iPhones out. Oh, what's really going to happen? But if you have not been baptized as a believer, man, sign up. It's something that you should invite friends to. It's a public declaration of the inward transformation. It's something to celebrate. I was baptized on July 4th, 1983. Got baptized at church, and uh, me and my friends uh, went to Fairview Park and watched fireworks. It was an amazing time. Amazing experience. You can sign up today. You can drop an email to clay at renaissancechurch.org. Maybe you have questions about baptism. Ask us. We know there's a lot of different thoughts attached to baptism. What I know is Jesus said, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, Chris, I've done all those things. You said there's something for everyone. Yes. Go. Go. You, you have spiritual conversations with people. When you feel the Spirit working within you saying, yeah, it's, it's time. You've been friends with that person for long enough. Have a conversation. Ask them a question. Start the conversation. Go. When someone brings it up to you, have the conversation. Even if you're busy, even if you don't think you have time, even though your calendar is packed, no, go. If you are a follower of Christ, Christ has commanded you to go Make disciples, baptize, teach. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. That's your command. It's your command. It's not just for me. But I tell you, when, when you follow Christ's command to go and baptize, go make disciples, baptize, teach, it's one of the most epic journeys of your life. It's why... God took this boy and moved him from Illinois, no S at the end, Illinois, to Vegas. And then took this man and moved him from Vegas to Jersey. I, I hope there's not another place because I don't know uh, how different the next step could possibly be from Vegas to Jersey. Why? To go. Why do I talk about Jesus a lot? My command is to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. I'm going to talk about Jesus until I can't talk about Jesus anymore. For some of you, that annoys you. Good. I'm okay with that. Because Jesus has called me to go and make disciples and baptize and teach.
And that's what we're about here at Renaissance Church. My prayer for all of you today is this. Take a step. Spiritual journey, commit five weeks to the road, get signed up for the the project. If you're not sure about accepting Christ, come to the road, sign up for the project, find one of us, have a conversation. If you're ready, just accept Christ. Starts in your heart. And then tell someone, hey, I think I just did that. That's cool. We'll celebrate with you. If you've accepted Christ and never been baptized, be baptized. That's awesome. It's a public declaration. We're going to celebrate here in the opera house with a lot of water. It's going to be great. If you've done all of that, go. Just go. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our day uh, and our time together. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room because you know where they're at and you know what they're working through and what they're questioning and what they're trying to navigate through. And Lord, I just pray through all of this, I just pray how deeply you desire to have a relationship with every single person in this room. How deeply you desire it. And you never pray. Amen. God bless. Enjoy the Super Bowl commercials.